0: We actually have a vaccine distribution system that gives out 170 million doses of a single vaccine every year, and it works really well.
1: This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey, folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. I'm here today with Bryce Ward for our December edition of Incentives and Instincts. And it occurs to me, Bryce, that we've been doing this series for a year already now. Can you believe that?
0: I don't, Time feels so weird right now. <laughs> it like, does. On the one hand, yes. I'm like, yes, we have been doing this for a year. In fact, last month, I actually went back and listened to them all. Not all the co okay. collabs, but wow. all of the, the INIs. I was like, you know, are these any good? And the, with the perspective of distance and yeah, I was like, you know what? We were doing good stuff. We yeah, we've done some stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, it continues. Uh, we survived another month. I mean, we started our conversation before we recorded with, uh, we made it to December and we have, and under the circumstances, making it another day, you know, we could chalk that
0: up as, a, as an accomplishment. Every day is a win right now.
1: Indeed. So, you know, I want to check in. It's it, we're, we're sort of overdue. You mentioned the COVID collab. That seems like ancient history at this point. But um, COVID is pretty salient at the moment. We made some dire predictions uh, last month in our episode with Charlie Warzel. Do we know much uh, about, you know, potential Thanksgiving effect on uh, on the case counts, at least here in Montana? Can we say anything about that yet, Bryce?
0: Uh, here in Montana, um, you know, we're on a downward trend so Mm -hmm. you know i mean it's kind of flattened out which is probably the thanksgiving effect i mean nationally we definitely see a thanksgiving effect right like Mm -hmm. we had kind of started turning a corner uh and yeah there was some thanksgiving interruption and testing and all that kind of stuff but uh you know we before that we had started uh actually reducing cases uh for a few days and then you have this thanksgiving we don't know what happened but yeah now we're back to setting new records on cases and the line is still pretty steep Uh, so I would call that you know the cases that we're seeing right now are either the direct Thanksgiving or the you know one degree removed from Thanksgiving and um, you know yeah it's not as bad as I was worried it was going to be Okay. Um, so that's I guess the good news but there's definitely been you know an increase in cases and both anecdotally and then based on just literally the patterns we see in the data, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, that, that's, that's a, that's a Thanksgiving effect.
1: Yeah. And we'll sort of have to see, um, what happens with, uh, you know, Christmas and other holidays as we move forward into the next weeks.
0: To not focus on the negative. It's worth focusing on the fact that many, many people are adapting their behavior. Uh, and you know, We focus a lot of attention on the people who are behaving in ways that we think are slightly or maybe grossly irresponsible. But it really is true that a lot of people changed how they did Thanksgiving, if not Mm -hmm. canceled it altogether. I saw a survey this morning which, you know, it's like forty percent of people are like I almost fully isolated, right? Wow. You know they are not spending appreciable time with people outside their household uh, indoors, and you know it's more like it's twenty percent who are pretty cavalier and are spending lots of time with lots of different people indoors for prolonged periods, and then the remaining forty percent are kind of somewhere in between. And so you know it's worth acknowledging that. I mean, I saw one survey which you know you, you definitely you know it's kind of it's a it's a panel survey that. You know, people fill out every two weeks. Um, it's this USC during life poll that people might have seen during the election. But they also have a bunch of COVID questions. And one of their sets of COVID questions are about social interactions. And, mm-hmm. you know, things were getting better before Thanksgiving. and But Thanksgiving really just brought us back to, in, at least in that survey, to, you know, kind of the levels that we were observing in early October. And so, you know, it reversed stuff, but you did not see what you would normally expect to see at Thanksgiving, which is, I think, like I mentioned last time, like 85% of people in the United States typically spend Thanksgiving with people outside of their household. And so if it were really only 40 or 50% that did it, that's still a huge change relative to what we would expect. And so while we still, you know, and then you add in all the people who modified it and changed it or shrunk it and, you know. It's worth acknowledging that while not everyone is doing everything that we want them to do, given that that's really hard to give up time with family and all that kind of stuff, the fact that so many are is worth at least taking a moment to appreciate that there are many people in the country who are responding to the information in the ways that collectively I think we want them to.
1: Yeah, and I think ultimately like that's that's good news in the sense that you know you're probably never going to get 100% compliance with some public health edict and recommendation but the fact that we you know folks are making good faith efforts to be responsible citizens i mean that's that's refreshing and you mentioned i think in your prediction last month that you know people have to fulfill their needs and you know this balance between I know, our family needs, our mental health needs, our well-being needs, and protecting ourselves and our community from the virus. I mean, that's, those are trade-offs that um, all of us are trying to in, in, individually navigate, but as a society, we're, we're navigating as well. And, you know, just the, the numbers you quote there indicate that um, at least a lot of people are thoughtfully approaching this as best they can. Is that a reasonable conclusion?
0: Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, exactly right. And In a free society, that's really all we can ask. Exactly. Right? We want to... People are responding to information, right? And that's, you know, and we see that time and time again. Cases go up, deaths go up, people start pulling back, Mm -hmm. right? Now, part, they're doing it for their own reasons, but in part, they're doing it because of the thing that we really want, which is that they're concerned about other people. And, you know, we want people to say, ooh, cases are bad. Let's pull back, let's, you know, and we certainly have gotten probably too far in the, you know, let's shame and attack and, you know, people who are doing things that I don't like them doing, right? Indeed. Particularly given that, yeah, I mean, people have to do what, I mean, when it's done maliciously, right? Or... I'll put in the gray area the people who are believing conspiracy theories, right? I don't know what to do with them, right? They're, they're a bad actor in that they have chosen to believe a conspiracy theory. But to the extent that they actually believe the conspiracy theory, you know, they're not, you know, I mean, the, the worst is somebody who's like, yeah, I know this is dangerous that I'm just going to do it anyway. Sure. But, you know, like there's a bunch of challenges here in terms of how do we evaluate people and how do we evaluate our society? You know, and we haven't been good at those conversations, right? We've been very much like, you're supposed to do this. And if you're not doing everything that I think you should be doing, you're bad. And, you know, I don't think that's particularly healthy. And that's why I'm back in the COVID collides. I talked a lot about, you know, it really is a time for grace, right? Like, you know, unearned uh, appreciation and benefits, right? Like, okay, you didn't earn it, but I'm still going to like treat you like a human being and uh you know we're gonna it's difficult and it's gonna be christmas is gonna be thanksgiving is bad right you know people go out and they mix do all that kind of stuff but christmas you know it's like thanksgiving's one day christmas and all the stuff that tends to go around it is more than one day.
1: Indeed, events leading up to the new year and that particular event and gatherings around that.
0: And so, you know, I mean, I I hope that people will do like, yeah, okay, we're not going to give up Christmas altogether, but we won't have as many people or fewer people will actually show up. And, you know, maybe we'll cancel, I'm hoping, all the other parties. You know, we don't need all the other holiday parties that are, if you need to, do your family, but maybe don't, you know, have the neighborhood Christmas party and the office Christmas party and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully we'll also help mitigate the spread. The cases that we see right now, like I mentioned last time, everything that we observe now, we know amounts to a certain percentage of those will be deaths in three weeks or, you know, on average anyway. And you know, with what are we at? Two hundred thousand cases a day now? Is that where we're
1: thereabouts? Yeah.
0: You know, uh, three
1: thousand deaths. Yeah,
0: that's that's gonna be ugly. Come New Year, you know. We're right now we're seeing the New Year cases, right? So yeah, we'll be at three thousand or so by by New Year. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we'll bring it down at least in the in between. You know, because look, every time we avoid cases, that's there's, the, there's a whole cascade of cases that come from that, then a whole share of deaths that are are in its wake. And so, you know, hopefully people will... I guess one way of thinking about it is that you have, you have a little bit of a budget for social interaction, right? Meet your needs. You know, we can't... It seems both unwise and impractical to try and do forced restrictive lockdowns. But, you know, if we all kind of shrink our socializing budget constraint a little bit, you know, particularly between now and Christmas, then we'll have a little bit more buffer in the system to allow for Christmas interactions and have those interactions have less virus show up at them, right? You know, if we have less virus in the community in the weeks or 2 weeks leading up to Christmas, then it's less likely that there'll be a the virus that shows up at your Christmas. So, because, you know, at this point, to be honest, the other thing is that with the vaccine out there, now is the time to actually really restrict, you know, before it's like, well, how long can I keep this up? Well, now there's yeah. an end date. Right. And, right. you know, like it, it should give us a little bit of a recharge to say, yeah, well, I, I really don't want to get it now because I can not take that risk if I can get to a vaccine.
1: Indeed. And so you mentioned the vaccine and that's something that we had kind of loosely planned talking about today. I mean, the the news about the vaccines has been so encouraging about their efficacy and the speed with which scientists were able to develop these vaccines, particularly the Pfizer vaccine. The story has been so positive. We're starting to see some cracks in that positivity as we think about production and rollout. There's a story in the New York Times yesterday about the federal government passing on an additional 200 million uh, doses of the Pfizer vaccine. The New York Times editorial board is out today with a pretty damning column that and I'm going to read a piece from this. It says, "In the coming weeks and months, health institutions across the country, hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, pharmacies, health departments will face the unprecedented challenge of administering several entirely novel vaccines, some with stringent and complicated storage requirements in the middle of a raging pandemic, to a weary populace that tends to be public health averse in the best of times. Many of these institutions are running on fumes after years of budget cuts and months of unrelenting crisis, and most of them have nowhere near the resources that experts say are needed to meet the coming challenges. So we're facing a big challenge with rolling out this vaccine at scale. And rather than kind of talking about that and making predictions about that, we got a really insightful listener question um, from a student, Travis Anklum, a graduate student in our environmental studies program here at the University of Montana. And he asks the following. Hi, Justin and Bryce. My name is Travis. and And I want to ask you, who you think should get the vaccine first? We've got our tribal communities, small business owners, teachers, healthcare workers—the most vulnerable. Us. It's a lot to balance, and I want to know what y'all think about not who is getting the vaccine first, but who should get the vaccine first. What's the right thing to do? So, a great question from Travis asking about not not how we're going to do it, but how should we do it? And it occurs to me that thinking about how we should design and execute on a vaccine rollout program is exactly the sort of problem that could that would be tailor-made for an economist. I mean, this has got to be right up your alley, Bryce. What do you think?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, like, look, like when I was in graduate school, so my friends and I, we got tickets to go to a YouTube concert. Oh, yeah, nice. One of our friends couldn't join that. This was pre like, you know, be- right before Let's probably one of the last concerts, we actually had to go and stand in line mm-hmm. to buy tickets. So he couldn't go with us and stand in line. So we prayed a prank on him uh, when we got back that we were like, oh man, sorry, Keith, but like, we can only get this many tickets. And, <laughs> you know, so, and so he, cause he had, you know, contributed and wanted to, he's like, immediately goes into designing allocation mechanisms for oh, who gosh. should get the tickets yeah, yeah. and, you know, Somehow my friend Dave kept this going for like, I don't know, 30 minutes, like before he cracked, like the rest of us were like excusing ourselves from the room because we just couldn't, but you know, but yes, this is, you know, you crazy uh, Harvard economists and your your uh, hijinks (laughs) allocating scarce resources is kind of the name of the game for, uh, for economists. And so, yeah, this is what we like to think about now. The normative question of who should get it is actually maybe not always the thing that economists maybe should be entrusted with. But um, it is useful to start there, right? Because when we're thinking about this, right, it's uh, one of the things I like to tell students when they're designing like a research project or something is, give me your ideal version, right? Throw every constraint and every aspect of reality away and let's find the ideal version. Right, so it's useful to start with, okay. If we didn't have any constraints at all, even in reality, we had no, you know, we could do whatever we wanted. Who would we give the vaccine to, and why, and what order, right? And it's an interesting question. And you know, if you literally remove every constraint, right? If I were somehow omniscient, it's actually pretty easy. I would give it to the people who are going to die.
1: Yeah.
0: Problem is, is that I don't know who those people are.
1: Well, even within that though, Bryce, like how would you make, well, I guess we're, we're eliminating the scarcity constraint. Cause I'm thinking about when you say who, who is going to die, like one of the ways you can think about this too. And this, this sort of wraps into the should is, you know, we're thinking about people that are already toward the end of their expected lifespan or younger people who, you know, are at risk of death and have a lot of years in front of that? Like, how are you thinking about that? Um?
0: Okay. Yeah. So if, if we, if, if we're, if we're still constrained, right. If we're still, you know, and that's really where we are, right. We have to move mm-hmm. into some sort of probabilistic expectation, right. So then it becomes a question of, well, what are we trying to optimize? What are we, right. what's the objective? Right. And, you know, in a very abstract sense, right, you know, we would say, well, there's two components. There's how much does each person want the vaccine? Right. Because of their own concerns about their health or fears or whatever else they're trying to do. That's what we call the private benefits. And then we would say, well, how much does each how much do we as a society value you in some sense? That would be the social benefits. Right. And so, you know, we could imagine adding those two together in some sense, weighted in some sense, depending on how much we care about, how much you want it versus how much the society wants you to have it. And we could put that together and we could imagine creating a rank ordering. Of course, again, that I can imagine mechanisms to get truthful revelation about the private benefits. How much do I want it? Right. That's kind of the market mechanism. But how much society wants us to have it? That's a really tricky question.
1: Yeah. Can we maybe draw out both sides of that? I mean, the private benefits uh, you're talking about, like you mentioned a market function there. I mean, what, what, what I fear we should not get into is sort of people with the means to afford the virus can buy it and hoard it for, for them and their friends. That's, that's not necessarily what you're talking about it, but how do we kind of understand how an individual values their desire to have the vaccine?
0: Right. So again, so again, let's, we'll get into the market at some point, but let's, right now, we'll just abstract away from it and we'll just say, well, look, each of us have some lurking inside of us is some desire Mm -hmm. for the vaccine. And that desire is a function of a whole bunch of different stuff. Right. So most obviously, it's a, well, how much at risk am I? And, you know, what's, how much life do I have left? All that kind of stuff, right? So, you know, there's going to well, I'll call that fear. Yeah. Right. And then there's also just like, well, I'd also like to be able to do a bunch of stuff that I can't do right now because it's irresponsible. And if I had the vaccine, maybe it wouldn't be as irresponsible, you know? So there's, there's kind of stuff on that side as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, and none of us value those things the same. Right. So, you know, this is where things get tricky, right? And why we frequently end up relying on things like markets is because, you know, we could do something simple, right? And we could say, well, look, we should just maximize total life, right? That's it. Don't worry about fear or subject, you know, just basically say each person, there's an expected probability that you will contract the virus. We know that there's an infection fatality rate for people like you. So, there's, you know, if you get it, Whether you know it or not, there's an odds, you know, percent that you're going to die. And we have rough estimates of that now. And then we know what your life expectancy is, right? And if we suddenly figured out, right, because right now we don't know this, but if we also understood that the vaccine actually prevents you from spreading the virus, we would add in the, how many people are you going to give it to? And, you know, what are the odds that they die and their life expectancy, right? And we would just say, well, look, we want to allocate the vaccine to the people who will give us the total number of lives, life years saved. Right. That's a simple way of trying to abstract away from all this stuff. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it 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 waits every year of life the same. And, you know, some people might say, well, look, if you're going to cure cancer, we should care more that you live than if you're just some regular Joe or something. Right. So we are. We could then, you know, and that's the social benefit side of it, right? Is you know, are are some years of life worth more than other years of life? But mm-hmm. um but you know, I mean that's the kind of And we're already of, I mean,
1: we're 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 already kind of making those judgments with who gets it in terms of healthcare providers. I mean, there's 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 frontline healthcare workers that are scheduled to get their initial shots of the virus very soon, maybe as 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 this gets released. And that that is the sort of Kind of judgment um, that you're talking about in terms of the social social demand, right?
0: Yeah, Yeah. So that basically, what are we saying there? Why would we give healthcare providers the vaccine before other people? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's because we're saying that two things: one, their odds of contracting the virus are higher than other people. So you know, there's some stuff that on that side. Although depending on their age, their expected death and the expected years of life, all that kind of stuff, maybe wouldn't put them first in line. But there's a social benefit, right? Which is that like we need these people to be able to care for the people who still exactly. get exactly. Right. And so we're basically saying, sure, well, of course we want, you know, there's a there's this added benefit to, you know, we need to make sure that there's the capacity to care for the virus. And so we have weighted uh, you know, giving them the vaccine before other people because of a particular social benefit that we think they're going to provide.
1: And that's, I just surfaced that example by way of saying, you know, somebody, a listener might be hearing us sort of framing this social benefit question is like, oh my gosh, that's not something that the sort of society has the means to grapple with. And the point is we're already grappling with it kind of at the, at, you know, at, I don't want to say at the extreme end, but at sort of the obvious end of the spectrum. And as we move off of that obvious end, the, the the choices and how how we make them and what variables we weigh etc get uh get more complicated.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's it's well, it's it's a very particular choice and you know, it's it's very obvious in the context, but if you remove it from context, right? It's not clear that we would make the same choice, right? You know, okay. it's like, "Oh, well, of course we have you know, there's COVID risk here. We want these people to be able to treat COVID. So we should give them the vaccine. But we don't make the same choice in a lot of other situations, which, if we wanted to, we could say, well, that's pretty analogous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, the, I'm not saying it's the wrong choice. I want to be clear. I'm just saying that this question, the listener question about, well, who should be first? Right. If you really kind of distill it down into its most simple elements, there's some, we have to make some decision about who's more important than other people and why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we actually don't have a means of doing that. A new angle is brought to you by First Security
1: Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana.
0: Hi, this is Anya Jibor, Regents Professor of History at the University of Montana, and you are listening to A New Angle. Like, that's, you know, we could have all, you know, series of moral philosophy seminars in which we might, like, debate it, but we're never really going to answer that question because right. it's, you know, there's not like, you know, even if i said oh you cure cancer so you're more well why why is somebody who cures cancer more important than somebody else well it's because we've implicitly said that well you're saving lives and reducing suffering right but that's a choice right you know we're, and so you know the the short version is is that there really isn't a right answer to who should go first right you know i'm well whatever i'm sure various moral philosophers or ethicists if we had somebody on here they could make arguments for why different groups should go first but i don't think i don't think we would reach kind of a unanimous agreement on the social value of different people and why they should get vaccines first right so it's it's obviously it's inherently subjective and therefore it's always going to be a source of of contention
1: Right, but at the same time, that's why it makes such an interesting and important question. I mean, we're, we're going to have to make these choices as a society. We'll see sort of how society grapples with that. But, let, I mean, let's kind of talk through how, you know, if, if we were to try to navigate this problem, I mean, I can think of a few different variables you would use. You can use sort of, you know, economists might use some sort of like productivity function. How productive is this person going to be? Uh, you might use sort of a, a risk factor, like how how likely is this person to spread the virus to many other people? That's sort of an interesting way to, to reward that risk. It presents some sort of interesting trade-offs. You know, I think about, you know, I don't want to get too into the weeds of, of sort of policy to date, but, you know, I've always been baffled, And you know, an apology is advanced to my, my friends and colleagues who are in the restaurant and bar business but how that sector has sort of just sort of captured so much of the attention of of how we manage the economy versus things like school teachers you know so so you know frontline small business owners restaurant tours bar owners etc you know they provide an important social benefit to society same time you know the long term benefits of a teacher being able to do his or her work and particularly at the earlier stages of education. I mean, those returns to society are well-known and really important. So yeah, I mean, there's this whole host of variables. Bryce, tell me what I'm I'm leaving out, because I'm sure there's, there's a bunch
0: of others. Well, so in terms of how do we just rank people in some idealized sense, yeah, I mean, it's we're basically, you know, it's really, okay, well, how much good do you do for society? Mm. You know, and we can quantify that in a variety of different ways, but that's roughly what we're trying to do. Uh, we're just trying to say, well, look, how how much good do you offer? And we want to make sure that, you know, and then we want to weight that by the risk of that going away if you got COVID. Right? Yeah. Uh Uh, And so we would say, okay, well, we want to add that up. The, the challenge of that, you know, obviously we're never going to get a specific ranking of how much good do you provide society? We can use some crude proxies. Like
1: we could ask Facebook what, what they're, what they have calculated in their algorithm for all of us. Right.
0: But, you know, yeah, I mean, we have the, we could try and do, yeah. I mean, look, there's, there's lots of ways that we could, we're never going to ultimately do it. So. It's it's worth introducing at this point some of some more reality, yeah, right, yeah, because you know what we've seen so far, right? The plans that exist, such that they exist, they use things like age, health status, and occupation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And you know you can say, okay, well let's see how that kind of maps into risk, maybe sort of yada yada yada, but like. At some point, we have to move to the actual practical realities of, well, look, okay, so how I view a lot of the plans such that they've at least been reported on, they're statements of values. They're not really actual plans for distributing a virus or a vaccine, Mm -hmm. right? They're basically saying, well, okay, healthcare workers go first and then old people in nursing homes and then old people and people with two comorbid conditions. And then these occupations, then one cohort, and, and I look at that and I go, okay, that's a nice statement of value. We're basically trying to minimize the life lost in some crude sense. But when you get to the actual distribution of the vaccine, like how are we observing all this stuff? Right? Like a lot of this stuff isn't observable. Right. How many comorbid conditions do I have? Justin, do you know? Hmm. Yeah. Like hard to diagnose you know,
1: via uh, this uh, Zoom platform we're using.
0: Yeah. And, you know, oh, and more importantly, how many live in each town? Because I got to get vaccines to the right place at the right time. And so, you know, while it's nice to have statements of values, we do run up against the reality of the real challenge here is we want to get vaccines from the factory to a place where they're distributed and then administer them to people in some sort of social welfare maximizing order and just saying, well, we want the order to be this, like that's great, but we don't all walk around with something stamped on our head. And to the extent that we basically said, well, we're now going to have to impose a whole verification process. That quote from the New York times that you listed, well, who's doing all of that work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right? exactly.
0: Who's going out and saying, first of all, We've built the statistical model so we know that in uh, Glasgow, Montana, there are this many people who are over this age or in this occupation or have this many comorbid conditions, right? Because without that, you're not getting the vaccine. You know, Well, now who, who has it and when? And so, you know, what I come back to is... Well, it's nice to say as a, a statement of social value, we would like the, the line to go like this. I just don't see how as a practical matter, you can organize people into that order without creating an enormous amount of work. And my big concern is that the process of doing all that work slows down the end date, right? Yeah. yeah. Right, so we could have everybody vaccinated by this date, but because we're going to try and put everybody in line, we're going to extend the vaccination process by months.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that that sort of deals with sort of the the supply side as well, the constraint of you know it's it's why you know that that story and the story that came out yesterday about potentially missing out on two hundred million additional doses and that pushing sort of the expected date for most people in the country of march back to june that time factor is so just so important i mean time is how we've measured this virus in so many ways i mean the length of time you're exposed has 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 influence on your likelihood of contracting the virus the length of time between contraction and treatment and you know that that sort of yeah time is such an important variable and you know, we mentioned at the head of the show, like hard to sort of understand how time is going by. But the difference between getting the vaccine in March and getting it in June, whether it's a supply side constraint or that you know whatever authority hasn't figured out where I fit in the line, I mean, that makes a huge difference in people's lives and, and sort of the overall health of our society as well.
0: Yeah, and so it's it's one of these things where, Again, it's useful to have a statement of values and say, we want the line to look like this, Mm -hmm. but you have to, you can't just say, okay, we want the line to look like this without also asking, well, how much work is it to actually put people in that line? Right? Um, Who's doing that work? And particularly if we're not funding that work, how much does that delay the administration of the vaccine?
1: And You would think that that a way to kind of maybe address that would be on the other side, like invest so much in getting your hands on as much of the vaccine as possible that the particular you know, if you've got a line of 330 million people, that the particulars of where you fall in that line are sort of and where exactly you should fall are kind of. Made irrelevant by the fact that we just have so many doses that we don't have to be that granular with decision making.
0: Exactly. Right. So the way you alleviate scarcity is to alleviate the scarcity. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You said it much
1: more elegantly than I. (laughs)
0: Like, you know, yeah, I mean, I don't need to worry about enforcing the line if the difference is, okay, I got it this week versus a few weeks from now. Like, yeah, a few weeks matter for those who are caught in that margin. But if the difference is like, you get it in March or you get it next March, right? Well, now, yeah, now I'm going to fight a lot harder for my spot in line. Yeah. Right? Because, so abundance solves problems, right? So yeah, like to the extent that we have failed to make this as abundant as possible, as quickly as possible. Now somebody will get those vaccines. So from a global perspective, it doesn't matter. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really just from, uh, you know, now this is a, narrow American problem. But to the extent that, yeah, we in the United States will have less abundant vaccines, then yeah, now that line and who's in it and what order, those decisions start to matter a lot more. And so, yeah, the the, the easiest way to solve the problem is if you're basically saying to people, look, every, you know, only this many people want the vaccine anyway, we're going to have We're going to be able to get everybody who wants to be vaccinated a vaccine by June, and you know if you're saying like the earliest I was going to get it was March anyway, like March June, okay, I care about three months, but like you know or a month or two months, you know, but like it's as you extend out, you push that line, time waiting in line goes out, but yeah, now it really does start to matter who's in order, and well, okay, I guess now we're going to have to invest in you know, making sure that we have a whole verification process so that, you know, people aren't cheating in line. And now that increases the odds of a black market.
1: Yeah. The, the cheating in line, right? Like the, 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 incentives that this line function introduces in terms of bad behavior and, and sort of buying your way up in order, or just simply, you know, you, you don't want to make necessarily make it all nefarious. I mean, there, there are people that are just more aware. And are going or have easier access, not because they're doing anything unethical to give themselves an advantage, just because, you know, they're 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 more informed or, or for a whole host of reasons. But that just could give them access to moving themselves up in the line. And and and, and then there's all sorts of reasons why somebody would cheat as well for, for a whole host of reasons.
0: Look, it's valuable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, and this is, I said early on in one of our podcasts, when we were talking about markets, right? That when you have faced with scarcity, you have three options to allocate, you know, you can use a market and the price mechanism, you can use social connections, or you can use time, right? And, you know, the question is, is, well, nobody is really talking about using the market. I do find that interesting somewhat odd to be honest. Yes. Uh you know, and you know, because the big concern, I think, the big concern, which you already raised, which is the problem with markets uh is twofold. So first they don't account for social benefits, they only account for private benefits for the most part, right? And second, you know, will you know, willingness to pay is a function of ability to pay, right? So I have more money than you, I can get pay more for the vaccine. So People with money get the vaccine first, and that seems grossly unfair, right? Mm -hmm. But there's ways to design around that while still allowing some sort of market mechanism to kind of help ensure the efficient allocation of resources. You know, one way would just literally just give everybody a spot in line randomly or randomly weighted by some social function like risk. But then once you have your spot in line, just like it's like owning a ticket to the concert you can sell it if you want or you can keep it and use it or you can trade it um, yeah you know and so you know you get some of that some of the inefficiency of trying to enforce a line is that as we talked about earlier we don't really have a good mechanism of putting people in line so look imagine a family and you gave it out randomly or randomly weighted by some risk factor well then the family could get together and say well we've got this is the we've got these slots. Well let's make sure that grandma gets the first one and you know the person at least you know we could make decisions for ourselves without having to then you know what i'm afraid is going to happen is that somehow you're now supposed to go through your doctor to get yeah. it. Yeah. And now my doctor has to then hire somebody Whose sole job it is is when I call up and say, Hey, I'd like to get the vaccine, is to look up my chart or do some sort of screener with me to then say, Well, oh, nope, you have not the right conditions or whatever it is. And, you know, that's just a lot of time and effort. And, you know, we actually have a vaccine distribution system that gives out 170 million doses of a single vaccine every year. Does yeah flu vaccine flu vaccine, and it works really well, and so to the extent that yeah, there's got to be some queuing, right? There's going to be some line or whatever it is, and you know, but the simpler we make that process, I think, you know, with some exceptions for like obviously high value people like healthcare workers or whatever it is, yeah. It just seems like we should be using something simple like age.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, as far as execution goes, Bryce, I mean, this is, this is still one thing that's baffled me and maybe I'm holding up sort of this romantic notion of how the country mobilized public private partnerships in in times like World War II. But, you know, why don't we just give syringes and vials to like every Amazon Prime driver Right. I mean, that, you know, that selects like a certain um, number of people, but as far as like getting the vaccine out to people, like, yeah, you mentioned it shouldn't be administered through your doctor's office necessarily. Yeah. You want somebody with medical qualifications. It's a great place.
0: You could definitely go there, but like, I got the vaccine at a pharmacy, my flu vaccine. I got it at a pharmacy, right? right? Like, you know, why do I, I mean, doctors have other things to do, Yeah. right? And it's, it's fine if, like, I sometimes I get the vaccine, like, you know, when I've gotten the flu shot, uh, it's like, sometimes it's like, oh, I happen to be at the doctor and it's flu shot season. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, would you like a flu shot? And I'm like, sure. Let's check that one off the box while I'm here. Right?
1: Although we should flag, yeah, we should flag that this particular vaccine requires, like, ultra-cold storage and there's some other...
0: The Pfizer strength. vaccine does. The Moderna yes. one doesn't. Right, right, right. You know, the versus, Moderna one normal stuff. So, like, you know, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, and that's, you know, look, and there's complicated. You know, there's, there's other things that go into this vaccine that are not just a flu vaccine. Like, because it's an emergency authorization, we all have to like sign waivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, because it's not been through like long term testing, and you know, we don't know what long term effects are, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for the most part, what we want is somewhere between 50 to 70% of people are like, yeah, I'd like to get the vaccine. We have a production, you know, they're going to produce as much of it as quickly as possible, right? You know, we want them producing as much as possible, right? So, to the extent that there are investments we can make to increase their capacity, like, let's go ahead and do that. Right. But you know, while we're in this period between while production is still going up and ramping up, you know, yeah, there's gonna be some some cues and some lines and some shortage of whatever it is. And yeah, we kind of want to direct that maybe a little bit towards people who are at more risk than less risk. But um if we know, you know, and presumably we can do the math on this, right? Like here's how many doses we'll have at this various points in time right and then it's just a matter of saying okay well if whatever six, now i actually don't even know i mean i've heard some things like you know kids aren't even actually going to be able to get it yet yeah because yeah we have higher standard for kids right and we so, don't have
1: adequate you know i shouldn't say adequate enough data on children as well
0: yeah so like you know, so if you're saying, okay, well, we're, we're really just focused on the adult population in the short mm-hmm. term, right? So we've got 200 some million adults. Well, and 60% of them want to get it. So, well, when are we going to have 120 million? And, you know, two doses are what you need, although that's another issue, which I don't know if you saw the chart from the Pfizer thing, the cool I did.
1: Like, yeah,
0: I mean, it seems like one dose seems pretty effective after 14 days. So, right. um, you know, that's a whole other issue. But okay, so we need two doses. So when are we going to have 240 million vials of vaccine available? And you know, for the U.S. between the all the different vaccines, and you know, if we kind of can do that math, then we can kind of work backwards in terms of. Well, if everybody who wants it's going to have it by June, do I really need to go crazy trying to keep somebody who would otherwise get it in May from getting it in April?
1: Right, right.
0: right. Or do I just want to go all in on you know that person that we would need to hire at the doctor's office to go up and look up your chart to see if you have the right number of comorbid conditions to be able to get it? I don't even know how you verify occupation. It's not like we have cards. Yeah. I'm an essential worker.
1: Yeah, so right, well, much of it is unverifiable. It. Yeah, You
0: know, I would much rather take that person and train them on how to administer the vaccine than have this verification process. And so, you know, I mean, the what I've gotten as I've thought about that in, in terms of thinking about this, and I, I could be wrong, is I would rather invest on shortening the end date.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then worry too much about the order between now and then.
1: Invest in manufacturing capacity, supply
0: well, and administration. Making administration, it, you know, making yep. sure you know, pushing it out as not, fast it, as possible. I got to produce it. I got to put it on trucks, and I got to get it to places. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you know, and that's why simple allocation mechanisms like age are easy. Right. I can just look up in the census. Well, okay, we're going to do everybody over sixty-five now. Okay. How many people over 65 live in each town? Mm -hmm. Right. Great. Send that many doses. Right. I don't have to try and figure out a whole bunch of other stuff that isn't necessarily observable to me or easily observable to me. Yeah. I can just say, well, look, and then there it is. And then you say, all right, it's January. If you're over 65, come on down or make an appointment. Right. And, you know, the more appointment slots we have, the better. I would rather have more appointment slots and get those people vaccinated quicker than spending effort that we don't have in the system, you know, capacity we don't have in the system already, trying to say, ooh, you're 65, but you only have one Cobra more
1: Right, exactly. So
0: we got to tell you no, Go the whole process of fighting with you, I would much rather just go all in on, let's shorten the end date. And let's worry less about the line and just focus on, you know, because you know, the reality is if it's moving quickly and efficiently, people will care less about where they are in the line. Yeah, because exactly. Because I don't care where I am in a line that's moving fast, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's when the line is stuck and stalled that I hate being in the line.
1: <laughs> There's all kinds of research on line effects, you know, how, how, how you feel a lot better once somebody gets behind you in line. <laughs> even though you've gotten no closer to the front. Bryce, uh, this is the moment where we should probably bring it to a close. I mean, essentially the conclusion is, you know, this is a really hard problem to solve. There's a lot of ways uh, we could solve it. We talked about a few today, but I think we're in agreement that, you know, the more to, to the extent that we could be swimming in, in vaccines, we should be, and that's probably our best path to success. In our closing moments, we have to finish out with predictions. Bryce, do you have a prediction for uh, for this episode?
0: So I think the initial, when, the, when you're just giving it to healthcare workers, the vaccine stuff will go pretty well. Um, I think that once we try and start moving out into the real world, I, unfortunately, I think it might go poorly. Yeah. You know, I, I I was optimistic and then I had a conversation with a bunch of my economist friends over the weekend and they were like, There's no way we're gonna yeah. administer all those vaccines that fast. Like, what's the process? How's it gonna get there? You know, and I was like, Don't you
1: remember what you did with my U two ticket?
0: Uh <laughs> I was like, Oh, wait a second. Um, yeah. and so, you know, it's it's really unfortunate, right? Because we knew we were gonna have this problem for a year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right?
0: We exactly. should have had well-designed, super cool allocation mechanisms to distribute the vaccine. And what we have are kind of, like I said, I feel like we have a lot of things that read to me like value statements, not like nuts and bolts. And hopefully it's just obscure. It's not being reported on. There's much more you know, investment in this infrastructure than I'm aware of, but certainly I am not aware of it and that concerns me.
1: I think that is a, uh, well, it's not a good prediction. It's a sound prediction. Uh, we'll have to see. I'm going to shift gears with my prediction. I've been doing this bi weekly segment on the Tutel and Nwana's sports talk radio show here in, in Missoula, 102.9 ESPN, Missoula Radio. That's just starting to roll off the tongue. That was pretty good, I think. But anyway, yeah, I've been doing this this segment every other week called the Business Angle. And, you know, sort of talking about business and sports. And so I've been tracking a little bit college sports, in particular college basketball, the last uh, couple of weeks. And, you know, the the NBA gave us a great example of of how to operate in, in COVID times with their bubble. And it looked like college basketball might head toward that. And you're seeing pockets of it. But we're starting to see real cracks. And some of the signs of those cracks are prominent coaches and voices. You know, Mike Krzyzewski from Duke, uh, Rick Bettino early on um, is a Michigan State. I mean, these are the sort of preeminent power uh, teams in the NCAA. Coaches coming out, casting doubt on whether or not the season will continue. So my prediction is, um, yeah, college basketball is going gonna, is gonna to get shut down. Um in the next three, four weeks. I'm sad to say it, but um it's probably in the best interest of the coaches, athletes, and uh, all involved. So we'll see how that goes. It just um, delay it. Right? Well, like, that's the still, thing, right? And that's what it, Rick Patino said. He said there's nothing wrong with May madness. It doesn't have to be March madness. So absolutely.
0: Yes. Like yeah. we know we're gonna get seasonal effects, we're gonna get vaccine effects, we're gonna get, you know, kind of just gross herd immunity effects, natural herd immunity effects. Like like Right now is the worst time. Like it's as bad as it's gonna get. Hopefully, uh, you know, between now and whenever we choose to bend the curve a little bit more. But like, yeah. you know, I mean, college football is a mess.
1: It is hundred
0: percent. I mean, like, just press. Pause. It's unwatchable. Yeah. Like I, I, I made the decision early on that I wasn't really gonna watch it, but I managed to watch a part of a game a few weeks mm. ago. I was like. Are these guys even trying? Do they realize? that It's like they know this is a, not a real season. Like in the yeah. Pac-12, they don't even know who they're playing. It's like Thursday. And like, well, that team's going to go, uh, not going to be able to play this week, so you're going to go find somebody else to play on two days' notice. It's it's a mess. It's, it's a mess. Like, you know, like, it's just, I, I don't understand it at all. Like, you know, at this point, particularly now that we have a vaccine, it was, you know, like calculus changes a ton once you get to, oh, we're going to be able to vaccinate people in some mass fashion, and that will significantly change life. And, you know, the NBA played out of time, right? Like, the NBA finals were, what, October?
1: Yeah, something late, you know, late summer or early fall, something like that. Yeah, I mean, like then, you
0: know, when, like... You know, yeah, not as many people watched it because it wasn't when you're supposed to be watching the NBA, but like, you know, it happened. It's, it was the only, it's the only sport that's taken place thus far that I don't think has a significant asterisk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Agree.
0: Right. Because once they went into the bubble, everybody stayed in the bubble, right? You didn't have this weird thing like Denver playing without a quarterback uh, or, you know, whatever's going on in the NFL, bouncing around and Major League Baseball. The season was just so short, right? That you know a sixty-game season isn't really a
1: yeah. People forgot it even happened. Game
0: season, yeah. um, and so it's like you know just just wait, and you can you have fans, right? Like uh, at least in some sense, right? Like you know, hopefully hundreds of millions of us will you know, or tens of millions of us will be vaccinated by March. So you can. Open your stands up again. Why are we trying to operate in this environment? It's crazy.
1: Seems like once we set balls in motions, particular, particularly institutional balls, it's really hard to pause them, stop them, change direction, etc. cetera. We'll see. But we set this ball in motion, Bryce. Well, we set it in motion three years ago with our first episode of A New Angle, and then we set this incentives and instincts uh, series in motion a year ago, I'm thankful for our friendship and this collaboration. I'm looking forward to what happens in 2021, and uh, turning the page on 2020 will 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 feel pretty good. We'll see all of you at least in this series in the new year. This is the last episode of Incentives and Instincts for 2020, and uh, Bryce, it's been a pleasure. Uh, all the best to you and your family for a safe and healthy holidays.
0: You too, Justin.
1: Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot with support from the University of Montana College of Business and Consolidated Electrical Distributors. AJ Williams is our producer. Jeff Ament, John Wicks, and VTO made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at at umontana.edu. If you like what you heard... Tell your friends about it thanks a lot and see you next time